Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 24. We will get there in a moment, starting at verse 36. But there were two runners, and they were extremely competitive. They were from different areas, but they were, they were training for the same event. They would excel one over the other, and it, it would just go back and forth. Their skill level, their speed, their endurance, their health, their size... They were matched up perfectly, and one would win one race, and the other would win the next race, and they both find themselves training in Yellowstone. They're running through Yellowstone, and, and they're, they're on different paths, and those paths begin to, to come together and join into a path, and as, as they exit their, their individual paths, they find themselves running side by side, one pushing the other, just, just trying to, to win, because course I'm not going to stop now. I can't let this guy beat me. So they continue to run and they make their way to a bend in the trail and, and they're neck and neck as they come around the corner and on a dime both of them stop. Because just around the bend, just, just ahead of where they now are, stands a mother grizzly with two cubs. Very quietly the one says to the other, you know what this means? To which the other guy responded, yep, one of us is in trouble. <laughs> one of us is in trouble. The jokes won't get any better, but I, I promise the preaching will. I want to preach to us today that one of us is in trouble. One, Only one. As long as I can outrun you, I'm just fine. But one of us is in trouble. Luke 24, starting at verse 36. And then you can also go to John chapter 20 and just stick your finger there. We'll pick up another part of this same story. It says, as they, being the disciples, thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified, terrified and affrightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is after the resurrection. The disciples find themselves in a room and in the midst of them suddenly he didn't walk through the door or climb through the window but Jesus was just there and it freaked them out. I think that would probably freak me out too. And, and the dialogue that we just read begins to take place going to the book of John starting in uh, chapter 20 verse 24 we kind of pick up and find some more detail. It says, but Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see his hands, the prince of the nails, and put my finger into the prince of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing." Sometimes being in the will of God will cause you to be out of graces with people. The disciples were hid away in an upper room because it was publicly known that they were disciples of Jesus. 
And they had just witnessed what the crowd and the mob had done to Jesus, and, and they did not want to be found. They were afraid. They were worried about what was going to become of them. There are going to be times when, when just like around Jesus, people flock to us, and there's also going to be times when we feel like we're all alone. One person said it like this. They said, you will not understand the faithfulness of God until you truly experience the fickleness of people. People are fickle. When things are up, you got lots of friends. And when things are down, they're nowhere to be found. But God is faithful. The disciples were experiencing just that in the text that we read. They saw Him die. They knew that His dead body had been laid in a cold, dark tomb. And now it was over. They were afraid. They had given up alternative paths of life to follow Jesus. They had walked away from family businesses and careers. They had withstood the controversy of their families when they made the decision to follow Jesus because they put their faith, they put their trust in Jesus. They had been fully committed, their futures tied up in the identity of this Jesus. And now what? Now what? They imagined things coming together a lot differently. This is not how they saw things ending. They were sure that He was going to set up His kingdom here on earth. He was going to establish His rule and overthrow the governments of the day. There were even contention that would arise between the disciples at times as they argued about who was going to sit on His right hand and who was going to sit on His left hand. They weren't talking in some heavenly kingdom. In their mind, there was going to be a, a physical throne. And there was going to be those who had the privilege of sitting next to King Jesus and and they wanted it to be them. But the debate was now dead. It didn't matter anymore. There wasn't going to be any kingdom. The disciples are in a locked room. The doors and the windows are closed and they are afraid. And it was in this atmosphere of fear and doubt and worry that Jesus just showed up. He just all of a sudden was there. It's obvious to us as we read through Scripture that Jesus is a God that responds to faith. Many times He makes a statement to people that are in search of healing, according to your faith be it unto you. He speaks to a, a Roman soldier and says, In all of Jerusalem I have not found so great a faith. And if we're not careful, we'll get the mentality and the mindset that God only shows up in atmospheres of faith. But the good news is that Jesus will also show up in atmospheres of fear and doubt. There was no faith present that day. There wasn't anything but fear. There wasn't any faith in the house. And Jesus shows up anyways and begins to preach. He begins to speak to these people. He begins to talk to His disciples. And His message was one of hope. He says to them, Peace, peace be unto you. Jesus showed up on the scene. And Jesus said, listen, I, I want you to, to have peace. But the Bible tells us they were unable to receive the message because fear had settled so deeply into their hearts. And rather than take the word of, of God, rather than take Jesus at His word, it, it says they couldn't do it. They remained terrified. They thought He was a spirit. They thought it was a ghost. He tells them again, peace be unto you. Come come and touch me and, and feel my wounds and see I, I can prove that I am who I say I am. And it was then as they made contact that the disciples believed that it was Jesus. But one of them, one of them wasn't there. You see, one of us is in trouble. Jesus taught them the value of being in unity. He taught them about the power of being together. Imagine, if you will, going out and buying a nice new pair of shoes. And then you lose one. The one you have is still just as nice. It's still just as pretty if you, if you want pretty shoes. It's probably just as comfortable, but its value is not what it was before because the other one is missing. It doesn't hold the same value that it did before because one is missing. The Bible goes to specific detail to let us know that the one who was missing was Thomas. It tells us Thomas, Thomas was not there. I don't know why Thomas wasn't there at the moment. Maybe he was dealing with the grief a little differently. 
Maybe he had stepped out to run an errand or he was out getting lunch. All I know is in that moment, Thomas wasn't there. He just wasn't there. The others rush quickly to find Thomas and they share the good news with him. Thomas, you're not going to believe this, man. We were just, we were in that room, you know, the room we've been hiding in for a while. It, it, was, it was crazy. We were all sitting there moping and crying and, and worrying and, and you know, biting our fingernails and stuff. And then and out of nowhere, there's Jesus. And he just showed up. He was there. He was talking to us. He, look, everything's okay. He said, he said we can have peace and, and we can find comfort and, and, and everything's going to be great. It's going to be good. We're good. Thomas, he, he, man, this is awesome, isn't it? And Thomas says, listen, guys, lest I see it, I don't believe you. I just flat out don't believe you. See, when we're happy, when we're excited about something, it's just natural. We want everybody else to be excited about it too. Come on, come on, man. Don't you believe us? Nope. I don't. I think you guys are crazy. I'm not buying it. I just... It's not that he didn't want to believe. Sure he wanted to believe it. He just didn't. His disposition communicated to everyone present that one of us is in trouble. Jesus could have looked at the situation and said, well, you know, I started out with 12 disciples and and Judas is no more, but I've I've come and I've revealed myself to 10, and and 10 out of 11 have believed. I'm doing pretty good. We would look at that as people and, and we would acknowledge that as success. Wow, 10 out of 11, Jesus, you did, a, you did a really good job. And yet we read that only eight days after he miraculously reveals himself to the ten, that he shows up in a room and, and puts on the whole charade all over again. The exact same scenario plays out, but this time for an audience of just one. The other ten were probably scratching their head going, did, did Jesus forget? Did he forget that you know a few days ago he came in and he said peace and we all we believed and we we've heard this message before but maybe maybe well, I don't know what's going on here but there's a key in John twenty and twenty seven if you're still there then saith he Jesus is the one speaking to Thomas you see the first time he spoke a general message but this time when he shows up he calls Thomas by name. Because Jesus recognized that one of them was in trouble. He shows up in, in the same miraculous fashion. He begins to speak. And then he, he, he dials in and he looks Thomas in the face. He says, hey Thomas, come and, come and see my hands. Come, come and, and feel the wounds. You know, the other day when you, when you said you didn't believe, when, when you said you wouldn't believe unless you could put your finger in the holes and and your hand in my side. Well, Thomas, that's what I've come today to give you the opportunity to do. I've I've shown up in the midst of of this gathering to speak directly to you. Why did Jesus show up the second time? Because one of us was in trouble. It's not that God is going to ignore you and you and you and you in order to speak to me. He he didn't show up and, and cast off the faith of the ten just to speak to Thomas, but he sees the church corporately as well as us as individuals individually. And when he looked down at the church corporately, he recognized that one of us was in trouble. So if one of us was in trouble, then all of us were in trouble. And Jesus shows up on the scene and ministers to the need that is at hand. He builds and strengthens the faith of Thomas. John... 20 and 24, when it first starts to talk about Thomas, also gives us a little bit of a key. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, and I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, but we're going to go with Didymus. You can say it however you want. But his name was Thomas. So why does the Scripture tell us that he was called Didymus? Why not just call him Thomas? We know many times biblical names have meaning. And Thomas is the Hebrew word for twin. Didymus is the Greek word for, you guessed it, twin. Twin. Didymus. He was only one man and yet his name meant twin. Maybe he had a twin. The Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't reveal that. But I haven't come today to talk to us about Thomas and whether or not he had a twin. 
But we must find ourselves in this passage. You have to realize today as you're sitting in this church service that you have a twin. You have a twin. I have a twin. He has the same color eyes, the same color hair. He wears the same size shoe as I do. My twin drives my truck. He sleeps in my bed. He raises my children. My twin pastors this church. We all have a twin. In order to receive what God is trying to deliver to us today, we have to be honest with ourselves. We must admit that there is at times a vast difference between the you that you strive to be and the you that you are the moment you stop striving. We all are in a constant battle between the spiritual man and the carnal man. And they look the same, and yet there, there's a raging war that's going on within us each day that we live. And we know who we are the, the moment we stop developing a prayer life. I'll be honest enough, the first one today to tell you, I'm not a good man if I'm not praying. I don't have a good attitude if I'm not talking to God. I don't have the proper outlook if I'm not buried in His Word and, and being faithful to the things that He's called me to do. My faith begins to sink quickly if I'm not maintaining a relationship with Jesus. It's far too common for us to learn to present one of us on the outside. We smile. We bring the shell of a good twin to church. We sing the songs, but while there's another dying on the inside, let's be honest, one of us is in trouble. One of us is in trouble. Just like those runners that I made a poor attempt to joke about in the beginning, we find ourselves staring at a decision, something that, that's, that's going to devour one of us. It's going to get one of us. And, and, and me and my twin, one of us is in trouble. There is the us that we allow everyone to see, and there is the us that exists in your thoughts and your emotions and the pressures of life. The you that nobody knows, even those closest to you, when you don't share the, the random things that flash through your mind and the things that you feel on a, on a sporadic basis, the emotional you that exists and no one can see. See, it's possible for us to look perfectly fine on the outside and be dying on the inside. It's possible for us, Christian people, people that know God and know of His Word, and have experienced His presence, it's possible for us to, to look good on the outside, and yet be confused, and hurting, and weary on the inside. But somehow we've bought into the lie of hell, that if we ever allow people to know that we're confused, or hurting, or weary, they're going to think less of us. In order for us to protect the image of the one on the outside, we fail to cry out that one of us, one of us is in trouble. I need help. One of us is struggling desperately. I, 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 I got to be completely honest. There's, there's, there's times when, when I'm in trouble and we've got to be willing to expose that. You see, one of us wants to go to church and one of us is in trouble. One of us wants to pray and one of us is in trouble. One of us wants to spend time in the Word of God, and one of us is in trouble. One of us really does want to worship, but one of us is in trouble. One of us wants to step out and teach a home Bible study, but one of us is in trouble. One of us enjoys fellowship with the saints, and one of us is in trouble. One of us is absolutely a believer in the things of Scripture, but what I don't tell people is one of us is in trouble. One of us struggles with extreme doubt. One of us has a hard time believing. One of us thinks that, that maybe, maybe it's just not real or maybe it's just not for me or, or maybe it's, it's off a little bit. One of us is in trouble. Thomas is a great example. I'm grateful today that Thomas didn't play the part when the others came running his way with the exciting news. Thomas didn't cave to the temptation to put on the facade and smile about it and pretend to be excited about what he really didn't believe. It would have been easier for Thomas in the moment to say, Man, guys, that's great. That's fantastic. I'm so glad that, that that news has come my way. And as they turned to go, the frown would come back on Thomas's face because he, he didn't really believe that. 
But it would have been easy to go along with it by, I mean, his ten closest friends were there and they were excited about it. Come on, Thomas, you're, you're supposed to feel good about this. That's what you're supposed to do. And we tell ourselves, that's right, I'm, I'm supposed to. That, that's the right reaction. I, I, there must be something wrong with me. So we stuff that guy that's struggling down. We stuff that, that one that's in trouble down and we smile real big. But I'm glad Thomas didn't do that. Yet if I'm completely honest, I see in the story why so many of us struggle with that type of honesty. Because Thomas paid a price for his honesty. I'll throw it out and see if anyone knows. When you think of Thomas, the disciple Thomas, what comes to mind? See, Thomas has been given a nickname. Thomas is known as as Doubting Thomas. Old Doubting Thomas. That's who he is. His identity now is is Doubting Thomas. We, We hear it. I'm guilty of saying it. We proclaim that he is, he is doubting Thomas. I'll quote my father-in-law as he says it this way. I have an apology to make to Thomas. See, they told me he was doubting Thomas. And I said he was doubting Thomas. But it's not in the text. Jesus never called him doubting Thomas. But I heard a rumor and I spread the rumor. Thomas, I apologize. May the reason, maybe the reason you're having such trouble believing Jesus is because of what people are saying about you. Thomas, I apologize because I've judged your whole life over a moment of weakness. I have labeled your whole life over a single incident. Thomas wasn't a doubter. Thomas wasn't a doubter. When Jesus was going to Jerusalem and He's speaking of dying on the cross, it's Thomas that speaks out and says, let us go with Him that that we might die also. Peter denied Jesus. Somehow he escapes the label. Judas betrayed Jesus. Thomas at least did better than that. But somehow we we have seen fit through the ages and, and through the centuries that have rolled by to label this man Because of a single moment of weakness. Because of a single moment of disbelief. May we as a church be better than that. May we as a church be better than that. Not to to slap labels on people in a moment of crisis. Or due to a single bad decision. Because you know what the problem with labels are? They're sticky. Once Once you put that label on, even if it's removed, the residue is there. It drives me crazy. You buy finished products. Finished products. And the manufacturer seems to think that it is a good idea on these finished products that you have to install in your home to put a great big label on the front. Anybody ever struggled with a label? You peel and you pick and it's little pieces and, and you scrub. And, and, and even when all the paper's gone, there's just, just this dark residue of glue and, and mess that's left. And there's all this time and energy that's spent trying to remove the label. Or it's no different when we begin to label people over single incidents, single isolated events that take place in their life. Moments and seasons of weakness. And we go, well, it's just old Doubting Thomas. Now thousands of years later, here we are still trying to scratch the glue off of Thomas's life. Thomas wasn't all that bad of a guy. You know what Thomas did? He dragged his discouraged, doubting twin to Jesus. He looked at the other disciples and he said, Guys, I don't, I don't believe you. Just, I'm just going to tell you right now, I, I, I'm not buying it. I've got to be honest with you today. I'm not buying it. I know you're excited. I know that it's 10 to 1. But I'm telling you where I'm at today. I, I, don't, I don't believe it. But what he didn't do when he was done making that statement is turn his back and walk away from fellowship with those that did believe. Right. What he didn't do in that moment is say, you know what, because, 
because I don't believe what you're saying right now, because I can't emotionally process the news that you're trying to give me, or I can't mentally wrap my head around it, because I'm in a moment of doubt, I'm, I'm never going back to that place. I, I'm never going with you again. I'm never going to try to experience the presence of God because, because I don't believe it. That's not what Thomas did. Thomas said, I don't believe. And yet we find him eight days later gathered together in a room with the disciples. We find him still among the, the fellowship, still there trying to, to figure his way through this situation. He didn't have any joy. He didn't have any dance. He didn't have any peace. The only guy in the room that didn't have peace because Jesus had personally delivered peace to all the others. Surely that weighed on his mind and he felt like he didn't fit in. But sometimes you just got to go anyways. Sometimes we have to drag our burdened, discouraged, doubting selves to church anyways. Jesus, I don't feel a thing, but I'm here. I don't, I don't feel the first inkling of your presence, but I'm here. I, I don't really know what I'm going through, but I'm, but I'm here. Because if you don't drag your flesh, that carnal twin, to church, your flesh will drag you to hell. It will. I'm taking you, all of my fears, all of my doubts, all of my frustrations, all of my shortcomings, all of my imperfections, and I'm going to church. Sometimes it feels like I need a wagon to come to church because I got such a load. I got I to gotta bring all this stuff with me. And, and we find ourselves sitting in a chair thinking, here I am again, in church again, but man, I don't believe today. Man, I don't feel God today. Maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just preaching to me, but there are times when, when you come and you go through all the motions and you look around and everybody else is worshiping and while the guy on the outside is singing the songs, the guy on the inside is worrying himself to death because one of us is in trouble. Self, I'm going to church. I'm taking all this baggage with me and I'm, I'm going to make my way there again. Because let, let me tell you this, if you don't go you're still going to feel the same way. If you don't try to get in contact with God, you're still going to have the same struggles. Thomas could have walked away, turned his back, and lived the rest of his life dealing with the same things. But he made a decision to take that garbage and take that junk and to somehow carry it. It takes an incredible amount of strength, but somehow carry it back to the church. Carry it back to a place where the others said they had encountered Jesus. I'm sitting in church, Jesus, but one of us is in trouble. And Jesus appeared in that room for an audience of one. He showed up that day. The other ten already believed. He didn't, he didn't have to make a special trip. But He showed up that day for Thomas's sake. And He calls him out by name and He says, Hey Thomas, I just, I just wanted to stop by today to let you know I am here. Thomas, I wanted to hand deliver peace to you today. I wanted to bring some joy back to your life. I know you've been struggling with doubt. I, I know there's some things that you've been going through, but, but here I am, Thomas. Thomas wasn't a doubter so much as he was just down and discouraged. He was discouraged. Maybe that's a better title. Discouraged. He was afraid, just like the rest of them. Let's say the, the thing that none of us want to say. He was, he was scared. There are times that I'm, I'm scared. I think that resonates with a lot of people. I'm scared to let people know what's really going on on the inside. I'm scared to let people know what I've really been thinking. I'm scared to let people know what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm scared to let people know what, I, what I'm going through. He was discouraged because believing had hurt him. He had believed with everything he had. He was a believer before he was ever labeled a doubter. He believed that Jesus would establish his kingdom. And he didn't. He believed that Jesus would not be overtaken by the Pharisees. But he was. Everything was a mess. And he was afraid to believe again because he never wanted to be let down like that again. 
He didn't want to compound the issue. To believe again was, was dangerous because it involved risk. It, it meant that he could be hurt even more. I hope somebody's hearing me this morning. Have you ever looked around in a service? You ever looked around and while the preaching of revival was coming, you said to yourself, I, I simply don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Everybody else is excited about it, so I'll smile and clap. I'll go along with the conversation. But I don't really believe it. No, we're going to, bless God, we're going to win people. God, people are going to come to know God. We're, we're going to change the world. And you're like, no, we're not. See, we don't want to say that. Rightfully so. Because I don't know that the rest of us would respond the way we should. But we don't want to say that. Anybody else ever become frustrated when you've remained faithful in paying your tithes and giving in offerings, but you're still struggling in your finances? Man, I'm doing this God's way. And I, I keep giving what He says to give, and, and I'm, I'm obedient, and I keep doing these things, and yet, man, this is uphill. And you become frustrated and irritated. The stress of life ever mounted so high in your life that weariness has become a constant state of residence? And you just run on fumes? There are seasons of life where we become so tired. Spiritually, just so, so tired. I know I need to pray, but I'm just so tired. As if it takes some great amount of energy to, to crack open the Word of God and read a few verses of Scripture, and yet when, when we're faced with a task, we just feel like I, I'm so overwhelmed, I, I can't even do that. I'm just, I'm just too weary. Have you ever said to yourself, well, I've, I've prayed for the Holy Ghost before and didn't receive it. Why would this time be any different? See, one of us believes, but one of us is in trouble. Can we just be real enough to acknowledge that today? There's constantly a war that's being waged between our faith and our doubt, our belief and our disbelief. I wonder what it was like for Thomas that day to be sitting in the room filled with doubt, discouraged and fearful, and, and just like that be looking into the eyes of Jesus as Jesus stepped onto the scene. Now I feel guilty. Now I feel ashamed. Why did I ever doubt Him in the first place? My friends tried to tell me and I wouldn't listen to them. What do they think of me? And there's another barrage of ideas and emotions that come our way. Tired and worn. No longer believing that God is going to give us revival. No longer believing that God can get you out of the rut that you're in. And you come to church and stand or come to church and sit. And all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And begins to address exactly where you're at. And begins to call you by name. And the enemy would like to capitalize in that moment and say, See, you're just doubting. And you can fill in your name. That's who you are. Yep. Faithless. Can't believe you wouldn't, wouldn't put your trust in Jesus. After all that He had done for you. And he wants to flip the role and flip the script. But I'm coming today and I'm going to close quickly. But I'm coming today to let you know Jesus knows. He recognizes and He sent me here on mission today. He knows that you're tired. And I don't feel like I'm preaching to one person. I think I'm, I'm really, I feel like I'm tapped into the Holy Ghost here. God knows you're tired. He recognizes the discouragement in your life. He sees the insecurity that's, that's bottled up on the inside. We're confident and bold on the outside and everything looks good and, and we look strong and we look independent. But on the inside, we battle with insecurity. We battle with whether or not we can even do this for another week and show up again next Sunday. The unsurety, the doubting. The good news is Jesus is here. Just like He showed up in that room. 
to reveal Himself to the disciples, just like He came back to reveal Himself to Thomas. He has shown up in this place today to deal with specific issues that you have carried into this service. This could be the last day that one of you is in trouble. Not one of you. One of you. One of you. Because there's two of you. And both of them are here. And both of them are listening to me. And both of them are talking to you right now. And you've got to make a choice who you're going to listen to. You've got to decide which path you're going to walk down. You've got to decide when you leave here today which, which one of me is going to be devoured by that grizzly. Which one of me is in trouble? Because we can't both survive. Today I've come to minister to the other twin. The one on the inside. Jesus is here to touch us deeply today. He wants to minister to the, to the secret places. And I'm not asking you to, to turn to your neighbor or to come to me and, and reveal all of your, your deepest, darkest secrets and all the things that you struggle with. But I am telling you that you can bring them. You can bring them to Jesus. And He's equipped to deal with them. And Thomas walked out of that room no longer doubting. That's why it's unfair for us to continue calling him Doubting Thomas. He doubted for a little while. And we're hypocrites if we say that we have. But he walked out of that room and he wasn't doubting anymore. He was confident. His confidence was restored. His joy was restored. He had his peace back. That weariness and that heaviness that had been bogging him down for so long was lifted, and he had a brand new outlook on things. What the other ten could not deliver, Jesus could accomplish in a moment. <clears throat> and I'll give you one more key from Scripture as I close. Back to verse 27, John 20. It says, Then saith he, Jesus speaking, to Thomas, Reach, Hither thy finger. Reach. 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 Said so, Thomas, I'm here. I'm here for you today. Come, Thomas, I've, I've shown up. And if you'll just reach, not, not like casually, not passively, not, well, you know, that's cute. Maybe later. Jesus said, Thomas, reach. Reach for your life. You're drowning in water and someone throws a life ring to you. You're not like, oh, can't reach it. No, everything in you would be extended toward that thing that has the ability to keep you afloat. Everything in you would, would, would be longing for and reaching and stretching to that thing that has the ability to save your life. Right. He said to Thomas, he said, Thomas, just, just reach. And he goes on and he says, reach until you make contact. And this is where we miss it sometimes. We carry the same stuff back out of church. Now, it's not that Jesus didn't show up last week. He was here then too. But we have opportunity to pray, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna play music. We're gonna do what we do. We're gonna have an altar service in a moment. And sometimes we reach as long as somebody else is reaching. We reach as as long as the song plays. You reach until maybe I, I stand up and say, "Hey, listen, most of the folks are done praying or or have left already. If you'd like to leave, you can leave." But Jesus said, "Reach thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither." Thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. The best thing you can do if the Word of God is resonating with you today, if God is speaking to you through this message, is to find a place. I don't care if you're standing or sitting or kneeling. Bury your head in a chair somewhere. Close your eyes so that you don't know what else anybody else is doing. And just reach. When do I stop reaching? You stop reaching when you've made contact. You stop reaching when you've touched 
God again. That's when you stop reaching. The old timers would say, pray through. We say, oh, that's so quaint. Pray through. Like, like I can just pray and all my problems will go away. No, they might still be there. But you can leave with a different outlook on them. You can pray through a situation. You can pray through until you touch the presence of God. And I'm telling you right now, on a mandate from heaven, God does not want you to leave here with the same doubts and fears and struggles that you walked into this service with. I'm, I'm out of words. I'm going to open and I'm going to give opportunity to pray. But, but just let that word, just, just let it ring in your mind as we start to pray. As, not even we, as you start to pray. Reach. Reach. Touch God today. Touch God today. You can find a place to pray. I'm not dismissing the service. You leave whenever you want to leave. So we can get that out of the way right now. But reach for the Lord. Why carry that back out of here?
listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you.